Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody, it's your rock and roll guitar playing bruiser, Holder McNeely. On a cold winter morning, in the time before the night, in flames of death, eternal rain, we ride towards the fight. When the darkness is falling down and the times are tough all right, the sound of evil laughter falls around the world tonight. Fighting hard, fighting for oh, so far away, we wait for the day, for the lights are so wasted and gone. We feel the pain of a lifetime lost in a thousand days. Through the fire and the flames we carry on. Fuck yeah! Yeah, dude! This is one I've been waiting for for a long time. Oh, by the way, you're a wizard and your name Jake. No, I'm a fucking dragon man and I shred <laughs> at 200 beats per minute. And we did I'm the Hollow Live episode last week, Jake. Come on, I'm we have to move God. on. Um, uh, unbelievable. This is one I've been wanting to do for so long because this is one that definitely speaks... To me, it definitely is close to my heart. I just remember, I, I mean, I kind of caught the wave late. I caught the wave on Rock Band, really, like, mm-hmm. and the joy of, especially because it was such a communal thing, the joy of getting together with some friends. I had, I have a very specific 4th of July memory um, playing Rock Band. Uh, another specific memory of somebody, I think it was a different party, but we wanted to recreate the fun, and, and we were so, and we couldn't find it anywhere, and he called a random blockbuster back when this was back when there were blockbusters. And they actually had a copy of Beatles Rock Band, which we were like dying to pick up. And we brought it back and just played Beatles tunes all night long. Uh, this this is just some of the most fun I've ever had playing video games was playing Rock Band and uh, Guitar Hero. I, I And, and I, I at first I kind of like kind of like turn my nose up to it, I think. I remember, okay, I came home from college or New York. I'm going to guess I came home from New York at this point, maybe college. And uh, yeah, it, no, it must have been probably college, right? And um, I was visiting a friend of mine and she was just like, yeah, my boyfriend who's like probably not going to be my boyfriend in like a week, 
Um, all he does is just play Guitar Hero. <laughs> and I was like, what? And like, we went to her house to like pregame before going out to the bar. And yep, sure enough, he had like three Guitar Hero guitars and no job. And he just like <laughs> laid on this couch all day and played Guitar Hero. And I think that was one of the first times I was like, wow. This is like powerful for people. I had another friend who, again, I went to his place. He had multiple plastic Guitar Hero guitars. He was like, you have to check this out. I mean, he was shredding with it. He was so enthusiastic about it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, whatever. I mean, it looks fun, but whatever. And then I think it was at, I believe it was a 4th of July party. And uh, somebody had Rock Band. I forget how we ended up with Rock Band. And I remember it was that Yeah, Yeah, Yeah song. Don't wait. Oh, oh, oh say, say, say. Maps. Yo, You're say. talking about maps. We're talking about maps, baby. Sorry. That was, it kind of escaped me for a second there. It's they don't blend. love you like I love, I love you. you. Wait. And I, I played that on drums. And I had this revelation of like, holy shit. I really feel like I'm playing this fucking awesome song on drums. <laughs> I got like tingles all over my body. Mm-hmm. I was like this. I just, it clicked. It clicked so hard. And I was like playing it with my friends. We were killing it. It was just this amazing moment that I remember still just playing this one song on this video game. I still remember this moment. And then again, that other night where we got Beatles rock band and just, it was like, this is the best. Every song's great. And every song's really different because they were like this one band, but they kept changing their sound. And just like, just, you know, every, you know, Yellow Submarine, I mean, it was a little rough. But, but, but every other song was just like, I can't believe we get to do this. <laughs> and of course, I got it for myself. Um, I believe my ex actually got it for me, which actually prompted me to get rid of it after she broke up with me, which I regret the video um, game, not the relationship. Not the relationship. I mean, all of it. But <laughs> Rock Band and, um, and and In Proximity, obviously, and, and it all comes from Guitar Hero, was like massively fun for me. My roommate, Ben Kissel, who you might know. Um, uh, Marcus Parks actually would probably love to do this episode, honestly, if he wasn't so damn busy. Because he fucking still plays <laughs> Rock Band drums and shit. Like, he's still into it and, and it got him a little bit in, in some ways like back into music and playing music in certain ways um so yeah i i just uh i just loved this thing like especially the community fun of it i mean we just did our episode on the Wii, and it got me thinking about rock band and guitar because it kind of all was similar timing mm-hmm. and and it's a time in gaming that i miss and especially these days because, of course, if you're listening to this at the time uh, of its release, we're still in this fucking stupid pandemic. And uh, we can we can really can rarely get together in this, a group large enough to enjoy it. Holden, no. These episodes are perfect time, are perfect out of time, out of space. Nobody needs to acknowledge the outside world. We're just talking about fun video games in the past, which we aren't looking at with desperate, wide-eyed, nostalgic lenses for a time when things seemed like it was going to be okay. Release me from my cage! I mean, yes. Uh, it's weird... <laughs> I remember Guitar Hero, I've talked about this a million times, but me and my friends, we would tour the uh, Mid-Atlantic as the geek comedy tour, and we played anime conventions and gaming conventions up and down the East Coast, and uh, And Red Octane- And just crushed it. Every night, just banged. 
I mean, it was available. I would have to stick a foxtail up my butt if I wanted it to happen, but it could I could have it could have happened. Um the thing is is that weirdly enough, this whole journey starts in that community, that weeb Japanese culture uh, obsessive community cuz one of the booths that would always tour around the same conventions as we were was a little company called Red Octane and yeah. they would plug their DDR pads because they were the only like domestic source of a DDR pad so you could play Dance Dance Revolution on your modded PlayStations and one year their booth was just swarmed with people and I was like oh that's that's weird like I recognize the banner I recognize the logo but like they've never had a crowd this big and they had demo booths set up with just these little CRT TVs and people just wailing on these plastic guitars and Little did I realize is that they were about to fucking set the world on fire with this new kind of game. It's and like that weird moment where, yeah, you're playing. You're like, OK, you miss the first couple of notes. You, you know, it does that weird crackly like broken string like sound. And then you finally hit it right. And the like kind of kicks in right when it's supposed to. And your mind just fills in the gaps. And even yes. though it's. It's the dumbest thing in the world. It's just the guitar track is on a separate track and it stops playing if you miss a button. That's it. That's the whole illusion. But it still just felt so real. Uh, Then we get the South Park episode in 2007 with, I mean, it's burned into my head. Randy, the dad, just singing like, uh, what was it? Like, once I rose above the noise and confusion just to get a glimpse beyond this illusion. I was soaring ever higher, but I flew too high. Like, <laughs> it became this whole cultural phenomenon. Yeah, it was everywhere. It's, uh, by the way, uh, if you rewatch that South Park episode, the punchline to the entire episode, like, you watch it, they do this amazing, like, um, uh, pastiche of, like, um, music kind of uh, movies where, you know, uh, there's the sex and drugs party and the Kyle and Stan break up their friendship, yada, yada, yada. You go through the whole arc of the episode and it ends with them getting a million points and the video game calling them the F-slur and the episode <laughs> ends. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it, it was honestly everywhere. Everyone knew about it. Families were getting into it. And it was so funny. You always knew someone who got like a little too into it. Got like the pro drum set and started just really, really cranking away at it. There was even like a Rolling Stone article I saw that I remembered when it came out um, and similar articles coming out being like, little Jimmy quit high school to become a pro guitar hero player. And then this total bust and then this absolute just decline in popularity just it seemed to happen overnight and everybody's gear kind of ended up in the same part of the the apartment or house and in, in the basement, deep in the collecting closet. Collecting dust. Collecting dust and never really knew exactly why, other than it was clearly like very much a fad for sure. I could I could you could definitely see or, or a gimmick. You know what I mean? Well, um, it's but, interesting. But, it's an interesting thing. I I sh- I mean, we'll probably get into it at, towards the end of the episode, but like Yes, it's not at the same dizzying heights that it was, but the faithful are still there. Yes. Like, there's still people to this day, um, the 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 story of the trying to get the full combo on Through the Fire and the Flames has been a decades-long quest with people still trying to one-up each other, including playing the song at, like, 
150% speed while blindfolded. Another person playing it at 165% speed, getting higher and higher scores. Like the, the, the plastic video game instrument, although it's like relegated to the past, is now an eternal part of the fucking universal toy culture. It is as ubiquitous as the yo-yo, the hula hoop, uh, you know, I don't know, Lincoln Logs. It's just like, it's going to be around forever. And, so, you know, I don't know when it's going to come back, but the core experience is just too damn fun and too damn addictive to not be lost forever. But also the bust can really be directly linked to Activision, evil-ass Activision getting involved and just squeezing that money lemon so hard until no one gave a shit anymore. And that is, it is classic evil corporate stuff in our third act. And we'll definitely get there. And it's a little dizzying. It's like, how does this just other than just money, money, money speaks, man. I mean, it's undeniable. I mean, these guys, and one of the quotes I saw, I mean, these guys went from needing to mortgage their house because no one would give them investment in this to Activision offering them $150 million for it uh, within a span of months, within like a six-month period. And that is so dizzying that obviously that's why a company like Activision could swoop in, take something, and then squeeze it to the death of it. But um, it's still a bummer. And sometimes you wish things maybe went a little different way. And it is a fascinating situation of two ragtag teams partnering up, making something that was like the little game that could, the dumbest investment on the planet that could, and then it actually working out. And then what happens after that to two small companies, you know, to the point where, I mean, some of the most interesting stuff we'll get into later, but I mean, literally they were hand packaging every copy of Rock Band 1 to get out to retail. Not, it wasn't done through some factory and uh, huge personnel. It was literally like people were like walking away from their desk to go down and tape boxes up to get stuff into stores. I mean, it is like kind of unbelievable how they managed to get this product out, especially with how complex it is, uh, you know, more so than just a single disc uh, of, of video game, you know, all that peripheral. So anyways, we got to get into it, man. We have so much to talk about. This is, this is going to be, this is going to be a bit of a mountain. Uh, so how about we start with uh, just how harmonics came together? Because of course, Harmonics uh, is the the kind of the first step here, and then we'll get mm-hmm. to Red Octane, who are the, our peripheral creators. Those, that's the that's the multi ethnic uh, acapella group that does those cool covers on um, YouTube, right? Harmonics, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Harmonics. I always do the Thanksgiving uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Parade, and I yeah. always have to sit through it because Jackie <laughs> makes me. Uh, yes, Harmonics. No, Harmonics was founded in May of 1995 by I love this. I love that his name is this Alex Rigopoulos. He's got mm-hmm. Rig in the name and Aaron Egozi. Uh, the two met at MIT. Egozi being an electrical computer engineer who was super into music. Rigopoulos was a music composition major who was super into programming as well. So they had this perfect little balance between the two of them. And they met at the MIT Media Lab. And this was literally a lab to bring people like this together. It's a research laboratory. It pulls in all different interests and tries to just, it seems like a big kind of nerdy networking spot for, for people, for MIT students. He goes, he said, 
We were working on all kinds of different music systems, but the one that we were most excited by was this idea of creating technology that lets anybody feel like a musician or lets anybody create music like a musician, even though they might not have the skills of a musician. That was really fun. Also, I want to just immediately say... Vice did the most comprehensive fucking oral history of Guitar Hero and Rock Band that is that you could possibly hope for. And a lot of these quotes come from that. And it is kudos to Vice if you want to go read the whole thing. There's a lot of stuff I didn't put in to this that are from that that are fun anecdotes about everything. It's too much. If I put it all in, mm. we'd be here for four hours. Uh, but either way, uh, this this concept, by the way, is absolutely a rarity during the mid-90s. So they get out of school and there's no companies are interested in essentially this music sim concept that they're working with it. There's no demand for it. I mean, Parappa the Rapper hadn't come out yet. You know, you didn't even have the most basic form forms of it at this. It point. feels like the most we had at this point by 1995 was like the uh, weird little music maker in Mario Paint where you just. <laughs> Made songs with little lakitus and mushrooms. Sure, sure. I, I, I was. I knew there had to be something. I'm so glad you found it, Jake. But yeah, very rare for sure. So that's why they were like, "Fuck it, let's just create our own company." And this is apparently Alex's idea. Alex said, "When we started the company, we weren't thinking of ourselves as a game studio at all. The co-founder Aaron and I started the company to solve what we believed to be a problem in the world that needed solving." which is that just about everyone is born loving music and they're born with this innate desire to make music and just about everyone tries at some point in their lives to learn to play an instrument or learn to make music. And almost all those people quit after a little while because they just don't have the time or talent or patience or perseverance to muscle through the very protracted, laborious process of developing enough facility on a musical instrument to actually have a joyful music-making experience with it. Holden, stop, stop. You're <laughs> making me mourn the fact that I could never become the Mississippi Delta's most prominent harmonica-playing blues man as I dreamed of when I was six. <laughs> Why you want to give me the run around? Come on, Jake. <laughs> oh, you it could have been me. It, it could have been, been me. Uh, and so the world is full of all these very passionate music lovers and passionate air guitarists who have this innate yearning to make music, but just really don't have an outlet to express themselves musically. So we founded the company in 1995 to try and solve that problem. And honestly, and maybe it came out of the Guitar Hero thing, the Guitar Hero craze, but I do remember too, especially around the time of this stuff coming out, like the air guitar competitions started get, making big news. The whole like people just pretending to be the rock star thing, uh, you know, in a silly way. I mean, you know, Wayne's World, like, yeah, it was a part of guitar culture was just headbanging and like pretending you could play. But Honestly, like with that insanely prescient mission statement, the fact is Harmonix was about to spend 10 years. Uh, I don't want to say dicking around, but they they dicked around and yeah. they did not land on what they were looking for. Go look up the video, the like essentially the advertisement video or maybe you call it a demo video Promo. for a game called Axe. It was the a, axe. The axe. First of all, not a game. Not a game. Not that a game is number all. one. <laughs> Super not a game. It is. Uh, you're right. I. I. I I'm. So, uh, that, that is actually the problem with it. There's nothing about it that gamifies it. It was a computer music generation system that could algorithmically create music on the fly. Uh, and and this game is so cheesy '90s bad, like CD-ROM 
Just, it's the most CD-ROM design I've ever seen. Yeah. Everything is a rounded, shiny CG bubble. The music itself sounds like a bad, like, Casio keyboard. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's like, you can make any sound you want. It's just like, beep, bop, 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 beep, bop, The core of the axe was that um, the axe. you got to manipulate a cursor along four axes in kind of an isometric perspective square with little on-screen graphics and avatars to, like, give you visual reinforcement for what's happening. And it would basically just plug in sound samples and synth notes to what you were doing. So if you moved the joystick up and to the left, the music would get a higher pitch and a faster uh, beat. So if you so if the song's going like dun 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 dun, you move the joystick up and you'd hear like move the joystick down, like it was just a noisemaker. Like this is the kind of shit like Google once in a while releases shit like that blob opera where the CG like cartoon characters just make a algorithmic song. Like you're not really composing anything; you're just making neat sounds, and it kind of matches your input on the thing. It's not what they're looking for. Like, maybe if you're, like, a child, you're just, like, you're happy to make... It's it's the equivalent of, like, playing the demo on a kid's Casio keyboard and, like, smashing the keys along with it. Like, you're not really making music. There's no gameplay. And after 15 minutes, even the most, like, sound-obsessed gamer would be like, okay, that's neat, and move on. Also... The fact that it had to rely on a joystick, like they had spent yeah. so long workshopping this that they thought people still used joysticks. How could how, it seemed like it'd be very easy to translate that type, that approach to mouse? But yes, this game sells. You could also use the mouse, but the idea was like, oh no, it's built for the joystick. So this game sells absolutely terribly, and it, it kind of it's their first moment of like, oh shit, are we? We may not be approaching this the right way. They then turned to Cam Jam, which had the player using simple body gestures to trigger trigger musical sequences, which was utilized at Disney theme parks. But after looking into it further, they realized they would not be a sustainable. Uh, this would not be a sustainable software for them. So this essentially was like a again very gimmicky to the part where really all, they're trying to just sell it to theme parks, and the theme parks were just not as interested. Plus, they didn't really want to get into the theme park sales market. Like, they, they found themselves in markets they didn't even necessarily want to live in before they got I'm to I'm sure games. if I was eight years old and I found that kiosk in the world of tomorrow or, I guess, land of imagination, RIP, greatest attraction ever, um, I'd be like, wow. And after three minutes, I'd be like, okay, I'm done. I'm sure yeah. it was a great three minutes. But then Game Changers came at them. With Dance Dance Revolution, Beat Mania, those two games coming out from Japan and Korea, and Parappa the Rapper on the original PlayStation. And these are games that they are playing and super enjoying, and I think that's the next oh shit moment. Maybe we should be in the market of actually full-on video games. Uh, the the Parappa the Rapper quote taught them that, quote, Rhythm action was an incredibly compelling framework for us to pursue the mission of the company of bringing that joy of music making to the world, according to Alex Rigopoulos. And I think Parappa the Rapper was my first rhythm game Kick, ever. Punch. It's all in the all mind. All in the mind. If you want to test me, it's just fine. Um, uh, I think I butchered the last part of in that. In the part. rain or in the snow, I got the funky flow. But now <laughs> I got to go. 
I love Perhap the Rapper. They did a re-release recently, and um, it's it's probably a waste of money if you don't love the game from back when it came out because you can beat it in literally like a one-hour <laughs> sitting. But uh, if you do love it, it's not a waste of money. <laughs> After the idea of entering buttons in response to something is no longer a foreign concept, well, you had to actively work towards getting your head around. What's funny too is it's like not good. It's not good receptive uh, uh, rhythm game. But the timing's just the ever timing's so weird. Off. It's all weird. It does. It's like so bizarre. It's like so slightly off. But if you loved it when you were a kid, then you'll love it now. But either way, uh, yeah, they, they realize like, oh, oh, people need to have like people need to have goals. People need to feel like successful in it and not just kind of it do it DIYing it so much. At that time, they decided to become full-on game developer studio. They recruit a lot of talent, and specifically, because we have to mention System Shock. It's been too many episodes, Jake, since we've mentioned <laughs> System Shock. Uh, they bring in uh, Greg Lopiccolo, who was a dev from Looking Glass Studios, makers of System Shock, uh, uh, but also used to be a bassist in a popular Boston act called Tribe who Alex had seen live while at school there. This led to a few Looking Glass vets joining the team, and this is the start of the fun thing about harmonics is that most of the people who work there are musicians of some caliber. A lot of them are in actual bands. A lot of those bands made it onto actual Guitar Hero games. Like, this is a group of musicians making video games, which Mm -hmm. is why, especially that first Guitar Hero, especially those first two entries... Are you can feel the love of music and what it is to be in a band, not just music, but like what it is to like tour around in a a shitty van, play little venues, you know, like what the history of punk rock music, the history of, of all the culture of this stuff. It's all infused in these games. But before we get to that, we got to talk about frequency. Did you ever play frequency? I it's I was never a PlayStation kid, so I never got into frequency. I remember seeing it being listed as like one of these great unsung, beautiful games and hearing about the story of its development and its reception. I now kind of get why I never got a hold of it. But um, it's definitely it was definitely one of those critics favorite because it was kind of a hard sell. Yes. Um, If you watch if you watch footage of it now, it is a genuinely complicated mess visually to like get, wrap your head around it kind of plays like guitar hero with the notes kind of coming at you from the horizon but instead of having a single track every instrument and every separate track on the song that you're playing you have to jump in between in this kind of octagonal 3d tube so you're always searching to like get out of silent parts so kind of like tempest a little bit it's very yeah. It's a hundred percent Tempest. It's very much inspired by old Vectrex kind of early Atari uh, arcade games, which would make sense because Greg Lepicolo. Uh, uh, it was actually him that drew a three D representation of a music track on the whiteboard one day during a meeting, and that's what spawns this concept. And he would, of course, being you know coming from Looking Glass, would of course be steeped in the history of that sort of that type of genre of video game. Uh, a lot of the music tracks were also more primarily based in electronica. They had this kind of like future DJ kind of aesthetic going along, a very 2000s club uh, art style going into it. So like it was it was lacking a lot of like real like just universally known songs. So like even when you were playing, it just 
You're just like, uh, cool. I guess this is just some drum and bass. I never, I don't really know anything about this song. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So the funny thing, too, is so Sony is the one who, uh, Sony Computer Entertainment funds this, right? And they go up to the uh, the guys at Harmonix. They're like, so, we did a test group. And um, before we had them play the game, very little people said they were actually interested in the concept or understood what it was. And then we got them all to play the game and everybody loved it. And they were like, awesome, that's great. They're like, actually, that's horrible. The fact that we cannot describe this game, i.e. market this game to people properly in any reasonable way. There's no configuration of a paragraph of text and screenshots that will get people to be like, yes, I want to try this. Yes. Only putting their hands on it is the way that they'll enjoy it. And that is going to be a very difficult thing to have. I mean, that's just base. You're basing it solely on word of mouth, solely on, I guess, a demo scene. But obviously, they unlike Guitar Hero, they weren't able to get demo play into retail. Um, So, yes, it is critically acclaimed. But it did not achieve any commercial success. They get, I don't know how they were allowed to do this, but they get to put out a sequel, Amplitude. Get it? Frequency and amplitude, like sound waves? I get mm-hmm, it. I know mm-hmm. I know science stuff. And, and they tweak the gameplay. They include a more mainstream soundtrack. But again, it just fails to make big waves commercially. It's honestly, when you think about it, like, when you think about the aesthetics of this game, where everything is completely abstracted, in Amplitude, you're this, like, weird spaceship in frequency. You're basically just like some triangles going down this neon nightmare tube. Yeah. Like the, again, they keep wanting to like fulfill this illusion of making music, but then they just completely abstract the idea of making music. It's a shame. It's just like such a missed opportunity. So here's the next. Oh shit moment. Konami hits them up to make karaoke revolution which is a franchise for the U.S., uh, and they were the only U.S. music game developer at the time. So Konami, that was their only choice, essentially, to make this game. Uh, The game doesn't understand the singer's words, but instead detects their pitch, so the singer can even just hum the song and still get a high score. Anybody who has done the microphone on uh, Rock Band, rather, knows exactly what this tech, that this is the precursor tech to that. Uh, and the game it boasted a more marketable selection of songs, and it was a bigger hit for Harmonix. A lot of that, and the oh shit moment was, oh, 
people want to feel like they're si- like they're the <laughs> singer in a band. They want that fantasy fulfillment. And it's also this very simple concept. You don't need to make it this complex. We want you to move through the music, man, <laughs> which is essentially like what frequency and amplitude were doing. They were like, no, we just want to <laughs> people just want to sing songs and 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 party and and feel like they're this like fancy pop singer or whatever. So also that, it's I, instantaneously yeah. you can just be like it comes with a microphone and you sing into the game console and you're like, cool, I want to try that. Yes. Like it's just instantly marketable. A one sentence description as well, for sure. Um, so the, that, um, mm-hmm. also, if you look at footage of those early uh, chore, I was about to say choreography revolution, which is a much cooler game that actually with dance central, they kind of end up whatever um, <laughs> with a karaoke revolution. You can see the base DNA of guitar hero already. Totally. Totally. With the 3D avatar doing the song on screen with the fake crowd responding in real time to, uh, you know, whether or not you're hitting the notes, the combo system. You know, it's it's very clear that, like, a lot of the groundwork for Guitar Hero was laid out during the development process of Karaoke Revolution. And I don't think this led to anything in terms of maybe some tech stuff for them. But I only mention it because it is the only non-music game Harmonix ever made, which is PlayStation 2, uh, which was for the uh, PlayStation 2 iToy camera. Um, And it was just this, like, futuristic extreme sports game. And it was poorly received by critics. And at this point, also, I guess the other thing about this was this is what hit – they hit a dead end – at this point in terms of game development to the point where they were like, are we done? Well, it's that iToy, that iToy game was their best selling game. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And th- that's what it was. So iToy was the best selling game. I'm so sorry. I-, I fucked up in the notes here. I think I wrote it later in my notes. That that was the game that made them go, wait, are we just should we just not be doing music games? It was the one shitty throwaway bullshit game that we made just to like make ends meet or whatever ends up like quadruple selling every music game we've made. You're totally right, Jake. Thanks for the correction. So so at that point, they're in this weird spot where they're like, maybe not going to make music games anymore. Maybe they don't even know if they want to even be in game development anymore. And we jump over to Red Octane. So Red Octane back in 1999 uh, is it, it was founded by two brothers named Charles and Kai Huang, uh, who uh, they and they were an internet-based video game rental service uh, called Red Octane, which was sort of like a game fly for Netflix, but not at all successful. Actually, no, it was called a Web Game Zone, mm. which is a terrible name. Well, don't worry. They founded the company uh, at the exact moment that the dot-com bubble completely burst. Just and they absolutely burst. Totally fucked. They were like laughing about how fucked they were at that point. They were literally like <laughs> the whole block. There were maybe two companies operating within like a month's time. Like the whole block went out of business. And that is just so got to be so crazy. And their rental thing, even though it's like Netflix, it's like Gamefly, but it was just like super not successful. So unlike them in that sense, they they were starting to get worried. Um, and at the same time, Japanese arcades were all the rage with this new hit game called Dance Dance Revolution. And their home version was put out in PlayStation 1999 in Japan. However, the US version didn't come out until 2001. Uh, and they, but they had, they were also renting out Japanese like bootleg games. And they re- realized that in the US, there was A, a demand for this game, and B, no dance pad in the US for this game. So, so Red Octane goes, oh shit, why don't we start 
selling these da- uh, dance pads. We we'll make a dance pad. And so they they you know realize a hole in the market and just jump on it. And um it's helping them a little bit, but then they realize, wait, we don't want to just be like dependent on the Japanese dance pad market, you know, <laughs> dance craze market for the rest of our lives. Like what if they stop making DDR games? What if DDR doesn't come over to America as as much as we hope it would? And it kind of did. And check out our DDR episode for more information on that. I'm pretty sure we probably mentioned Red Octane in our episode. But uh, either way, um, they go, wait, maybe we should make our own games for this, uh, these peripherals. And that is uh, when they uh, got into In the Groove which was uh, already in arcades. It was made by a dev team in Austin, Texas called Rocksore Games, and they worked with them to bring the game to consoles, which is kind of interesting. Konami later sues Rocksore and Red Octane over the dancing game patents, and they ended up acquiring the rights to In the Groove. But that's a little side note. Um, we get into the In the Groove odyssey during, in the DDR episode. Yeah, oh, oh, okay. It's I, it's all a jumble to me at this point. But either way, the game is not a success anyways, but it gets them thinking towards making music games with peripherals for a U.S. market. Dan Koo, VP of Business at Red Octane, said, I think with dance pads, it never went completely mainstream in the U.S. Well, it did to some extent, but it was more popular with the Japanese than for the American audience. So we thought if you're looking to develop an internet, uh, an instrument-based game with a hardware peripheral in the U.S. Probably the guitar or drum makes the most sense, and then Guitar Freaks comes out, made by B- Bamani. It is in arcades in Japan. It involves a guitar peripheral with three buttons on the neck and a lever where one could strum. And the crew, they're all playing this game. Uh, and the one big note they have about the game is like, it's fun, but it's not rock and roll. And if we're going to have a guitar in our hands, we want to feel like motherfucking rock stars. And instead, it's like a poppier. There's like, it's just, it's, you know, it's like Japanese pop music kind of. If you've ever played uh, any of the Bimani series or watched like those psycho videos of like a Japanese 12 year old just wailing on those buttons, uh, it really is kind of more about just hitting the just really fast notes like all in a row and just like kind of moving your hands really quickly uh, to the point where like it's more like the song itself is almost secondary to just being able to read the charts and just going. And uh, the Guitar Freak game is like, yeah, there's only three buttons, only three tracks, and it's all in 2D. It's all very, again, the same mistake that Harmonix was making. It's kind of abstracted from the actual guitar playing experience. Like, uh, you can, it, there's still a vibrant Guitar Freaks community in Japan. You can, you know, the same kind of world record chasing and kind of athletic hyperspeed gameplay that you've noticed on like uh, Twitch and all over YouTube is very much vibrant in Japan, but it's just, it just still didn't capture that weird, like butter zone of like, I am a rock star. And I love a good butter zone. Mm, mm. Mm. I'm but- so, I'm keto holding. So everything is fat related. Everything has to do with butters, oils, uh, <laughs> coconut. But I will say for red octane. Okay. Not only is this an incredibly stupid business move, uh, investment wise, there's no numbers to indicate there is a demand for a game like this at all in the U S on top of that, this investment, if it goes poorly, will completely tank red octane. They will cease to be a company. Most likely if this thing fails, but still back at harmonics, they're, they're coming off of all this weirdness of, of having some success, a little bit with Karaoke Revolution, a lot more with iToy Antigrav, 
um, which convinces them that maybe making music games is even just a mistake. And they're at this bizarre crossroads, and they just happen to get a call from Red Octane who was pushed their way actually by a producer at Sony. Uh, and uh, they talked, they, they, they really enjoyed Frequency. So the conversation started about maybe making a peripheral arcade controller for that. However, since Sony owned it and it was a commercial stinker, that was uh, going to be a total no-go. So instead, Red Octane, they just told them they'd make a guitar if Harmonix made a guitar game for it. And even before that, uh, the name Guitar Hero was apparently floated around uh, by project head Greg Lopiccolo and would be a, quote, guitarified version of frequency of the frequency experience that we had done, according to Alex Rigopoulos, even before Red Octane hit them up. Alex also said, we were looking at all the reasons not to do it, which includes... Peripheral based games were never commercially successful, at least in the U.S. Music games had never been commercially successful, at least in the U.S. So you marry one genre that's never successful with another genre that's never successful. It's like, that's not a recipe for success. So <laughs> also whoa, whoa, whoa. it comes in, at a hold high price just because, <laughs> just because, as we've established, it's impossible to market and people have no frame of reference to why this game would be enjoyable. You have to understand, though, at least it would be way more expensive than other games. Yes. So, like, why and of retailers love shit that takes up massive amounts of their shelf space. They love oh, it. They when love it. They just get this product in that just fills up the shelves and makes it harder to get other products on the shelves. They love that. So, and yet, dang it, these crazy bastards just had to make a guitar peripheral video game and nothing was going to stop them. So, uh, this was uh, they, uh, it was about a month into a nine month development cycle that Dan Schmidt, a game systems programmer at Harmonix, made the first prototype of the guitar controller, which was a breakthrough for the team who up to that point had major doubts about the project. A lot of people felt like this was going to be a disaster, uh, openly so. And there's a lot of funny quotes about that. But either way, it was uh, this is a very simple prototype, but it contained the controller, beat matching on screen, and you and uh, muting the guitar when you missed a button press, which is that classic thing. So that you when you do catch a button press, it feels like you're actually playing the game, and uh, that just immediately felt great. It's such a simple system. It's yeah. so dumb that that's how simple it is. But that's the Guitar Hero illusion. It's just two tracks playing, one gets muted when you fuck up. That's it. And instantly people are having a blast with this basic prototype. Greg Lopiccolo said, usually you work for months and months, there's no fun, and you keep changing things and you're looking for the fun. That was a game where it was like the first week of development, it was fun. And and so, and still, they're like, this isn't going to sell, but we're having a blast with it. Um, but then when Red Octane got their first demo from Harmonix, they are like, oh shit, maybe we have something here. So they agree. There's a nine-month dev cycle, like I said, and because uh, they're trying to get this game out for the holidays. It is a budget of $2 million, which is very low. So they had, and, and that is why, again, sometimes restrictions are the best. Because then that forced the team to focus on the essentials of the game, the simple gameplay experience, to not do anything crazy, not, uh, not a bunch of extra modes tacked on, not a but not too many characters or too many, you know, just keep it, keep it pared down to the most pure fun element that it could be. And that's all due to uh, uh, ha having that tight, tight cycle. Nine months and $1.75 million is their budget. That's insanely small for a AAA or at least a next gen video game being produced at this time. Like this is 
they're down to the wire. They have to just like deliver on the core concept and there's no room for any fluff whatsoever. Including like that very simple newspaper review to give you your results, which is apparently uh, inspired by the Incredibles uh, in the scene where there's all those newspaper articles about them. All that kind of stuff was just like, how do we get this information across as simply as possible, but still within the genre, still within this rock and roll concept you know and uh so oh all god of that if they stuff. didn't do the newspaper they'd have to like create more art assets add more animation assets they'd have to like do to oh no just fucking put up a newspaper yeah. boom done also you if you go back and look the animation for the characters playing the instruments is like hilariously terrible in the first game and <laughs> and the evolution of a, uh, the animation like by the end they were hitting the notes you were hitting on the guitar like you, you can yeah. see them s- playing the guitar like exactly how it should be played or playing the drums to the exact timing, hitting the exact right uh, drum heads. But either way, um, they did uh, take the beat match library elements from frequency and amplitude. And then they just added that character animation, crowd venue rendering and uh, cameras from karaoke revolution. It was this perfect marriage of everything they worked on before, except for that iToy game. They outsold everything else they had done before. It actually would have been a lot harder for them to make the game if it wasn't for the fact that they're weird former MIT nerds who are overprotective of their source code. And so in all their deals with Konami making Karaoke Revolution, they kept uh, the rights to the graphics engine and to a lot of their level creation tools. I'm kind of surprised Konami allowed that, actually, but that is brilliant. So it's just kind of incredible how all of this worked out. It seems like it was destined to be this partnership between these two struggling companies, all of the work they put in up until this point. uh, And... And again, almost everyone was a musician at some capacity at the company, and um, even including the small art team led by Ryan Lesser, who said, we could have meetings where we were talking about all these references, and they just totally got it. If we said this is going to be our CBGBs, everyone there knew about it because we had played there or we had seen shows there. And I think that, again, is just adding to this cool factor. That is that X factor that you can't predict but like is so necessary and why uh, say like an Activision is unable to recreate that pure, pure coolness trip that these two companies were able to have because they were actually dudes in bands. Like, you know what I mean? The last time I feel like we heard a story of a company that like actually was keyed into the culture that they were trying to tap into and succeeding wildly within that culture by accurately reflecting it was none other than Neversoft and the Tony Hawk series. And, yeah, and Neversoft is who ends up making that first Guitar Hero game under the Activision banner, and is why that is, you know, kind of the culmination, like, so successful, sort of the high watermark in a lot of ways. But they're solving all sorts of, like, and think about this. They're doing this from scratch. Think of all the creative issues that they're having to solve. Like, what is an easy song? What is a hard song? Going, for, you know, the idea of easing people from three buttons to five buttons. The star power system where, like, it gives people, like, more choice and, like, how to manipulate their scores better and how to, like, uh, creating this kind of tension where there's a star section coming up and you really got to nail it in order to fill your meter up. Like, all these simple little gameplay tweaks that way, way, way increase the intensity of playing the game and keeps you engaged where it could, yeah, otherwise it could just be like hitting the button, hitting the button, hitting the button. They've like managed to like solve all these issues. And because they're musicians, when they're building the tracks, there's like a more innate understanding of like, 
which I'm sorry, uh, gems is what they call the little prompts, the circle within the circle. Uh, which, you know, which gem placement feels more like yes. playing the song and which song parts need like a little bit of like juicing up to like kind of make the solos feel more intense. It's a very like they're they're working from scratch pretty much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And so much of the song selection that they did uh, w- had to do with what's going to feel the most rockin' cool to play, which ranged uh, in opinion. Like, some people were more into, let's say, like, Def Leppard or something like that, and other people were like, we got to get Boston in there, and there were heavy debates about that. But a lot of times, too, they couldn't include songs that like, oh, shit, this song has, like, a giantly long saxophone solo, and that's <laughs> just going to be boring as hell. What, what you know... Picking songs specifically that felt good on the guitar. Speaking of the guitar, they modeled it after the Gibson SG guitar and took heavy influence from the Guitar Freaks guitar, but wanted to add more buttons on the frets from three to five. And this actually makes a giant difference. Another very small touch that makes this if huge you're not a If you're not a weird music nerd, uh, the SG looks like a n- normal electric guitar, but it has like spiky little devil horns on it. So it's like a little devil guitar. And just having those five finger positions forces the player to have to move up and down the neck. And that just adds this whole element of complexity to the gameplay. Uh, And then, of course, you have that star mechanic, which involves lifting the guitar to set it off, which was pretty janky at first, but uh, they got there eventually. And lastly, they had Red Octane add a whammy bar because whammy bars rule. So (laughs) they're like, why do we need it? They're just like... Fucking whammy bar, bro. I mean, which, by the way, I was so thrilled to have a whammy bar. Did you not see from Wayne's World? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was so thrilled, though, when I got, like, uh, my first, put a, one of those in my hand for the first time. And the first thing you do is play with that whammy bar. It's the best. So, um, going back to the songs, they, they, the devs made a list of songs they wanted. The harmonics devs did. Uh, and uh, they got into many arguments, heated arguments over that. And they also um, had no recognition at all. So, early on, I mean... They, they, uh, you know, they, they can't just get these giant names that they have on this list, per se, to give them their songs. They employed a production company in Fremont, California called Wave Group Sound to produce cover versions of the songs. It was a lot cheaper to buy licenses to make a cover than to buy the actual song. Later on, of course, <sighs> they get the real songs, but... Uh, this just, it's something so, like... It honestly, this is a very common perception among like kids and teenagers who like came of age during the Guitar Hero era who then revisit the games. Most people like barely remember that they were covers because a lot of them were weirdly accurate. Uh, But like you can't the level of shock if you watch footage now and you see like take me out as made famous by Franz Ferdinand. Yes. And and you can thank one bro bra. For how good that stuff sounds in a lot of ways. There's many, many people who worked on these covers, but Marcus Henderson was a contract guitarist over at Wave Group Sound and, quote, did a lot of heavy lifting, according to Will Littlejohn, uh, including a lot of the metal songs. He said he would take on the harder sections of the song first, then go from there and would match tones by using the actual guitar that the artist used. Marcus said... 
For me, it worked out perfectly because I studied at the altar of every guitar magazine from basically 1986 on. So I was a voracious reader. I would read about how players would use Dunlap 70 pickups with a very specific Durlin kind of material or something and how they would angle it with their thumb. So I just had this mental database of about a billion little data points. And I was able to go, okay, yeah, this was recorded in 1983. He used a Marshall JCM-800, but it was hot-rodded and put Pushed through the specific compressor because the specific uh, producer favored the specific outdoor gear. It was produced by Matt's Norman. And so <laughs> that's just an example of how intense this dude was about the, the, the specific. And if they had other people, so even here would be a roadblock. And they had other people weren't making these covers and they sounded like jack shit or like just nothing like the originals. People would probably immediately be like turned off by that. The authenticity of all of this stuff leads to this product, I think, catching fire, not just the gimmick. So uh, each song had two parts, what the player was playing and the rest of the track. And it was their job to figure out what was the most fun part of the song uh, to play on the guitar. So sometimes they would be switching between the rhythm, because that was the funner part, to the solo guitar back. And, 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 and you know, especially if there was multiple guitar parts on, on a track. Eric Brosius has said, we wanted to try to make the expert mode as note for note as possible. Meaning, if it was at least a, at a if it was at a fast tempo and the guy was playing sixteenth notes, that's how he would author, uh, We would author it. We usually authored that first, and that gave us uh, the kind of template. And that's a really important quote to show you where they started and where it got to, and why a lot of the people who, uh, especially at harmonics, who left. Uh, to make rock band eventually or end up, well, it's a whole situation we'll get into. But that's a lot to say that like later guitar games, it just became about this wall of buttons to hit and not necessarily a direct one-to-one to the actual song being played. And I think the people at Harmonics cared a lot more about actually mimicking the song and the way it was played, whereas later it just becomes like pure arcade nonsense. Well, that's from Harmonics' perspective, yeah. trying to throw a little shade at their competitors. I mean, I outside of I haven't seen like that particular criticism uh, a lot around the Internet to the point where like some of the most famous uh, Guitar Hero tracks are ones that harmonics didn't even do. So like, you know, maybe maybe it is less musical, but like even that technical style that just wall of gems was like, <laughs> you know, the people aren't as like uh, upset about it as I think it's as maybe a harmonics employee. I kind of felt, I personally kind of felt that way when I would get into harder territory with some stuff uh, that I played. So I kind of get it. Or especially if I watch a video of someone on the hardest song on expert, it just, it's not guitar. It like becomes something else <laughs> entirely. It's just, it becomes <laughs> nonsense. Something beautiful, Holden, <laughs> something mesmer. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joe's, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. 
Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Rising. Uh, so Corey Fong, senior brand manager, Red Octane, uh, it was his task to try to get, get this impossible thing out, uh, this unproven thing. These companies have no namesake, pretty much. I mean, frequency, I guess, but, you know, very little namesake. So Corey Fong emails IGN and GameSpot just begging them to take a look at the game until they did. And uh, especially over at IGN, they absolutely love it. Write this big glowing review. Then at E3, they showed the game off, but only behind closed doors. This adds even more hype and buzz. It's a big hit uh, hit for them there. Still, it was hard to get into the retail spaces. Again, they have this big box issue with with the game. And uh, if they can't get it into the retail spaces, they're fucked. So uh, according to Rudd Octane associate producer Lennon Lang, Quote, we were laughed out of so many offices, and it was only Best Buy who took them on at first, a place with a lot more shelf space, at least, and also the foresight to help set, uh, or rather, and also the foresight to set up demo stations in order to sell it, because that's the only way they're really going to sell this thing, is people having fun in the stores. Lennon said, it really came down to getting it in people's hands. That was pretty much our key for everything. Once we got it in someone's hands and they strummed those first couple notes, they just saw the look. You just saw the look on their face of like, holy shit, this is fucking cool. Still, to produce the necessary funds, uh, necessary units for retail launch, 100,000 units is what they need to get to. They were unable to find investors at all. I mean, it is just constant brick walls for these guys that they crush through like the Kool-Aid guy. The uh, the horror of like being this failing company, risking it all on this one outlandish product, and then the horror that you don't even have the money to fulfill the orders for the product that you're getting is just such a shitty catch twenty two. Yeah, uh, it, it is. It is just uh, absolutely difficult. And honestly, it was like one buyer at Best Buy who was new, and it was her big risk as well to put Guitar Hero demo stations in Best Buy and sell the product. And honestly, it actually launched her career as a Best Buy product buyer, uh, which, it, and again, it was like kind of a Red Octane situation. It would have crushed her if it didn't do well. But uh, they end up, uh, I believe Tra- Charles Huang, co-founder of Red Octane, as I kind of mentioned before, ends up having to mortgage his house to get these units made. Those initial units, as I mentioned before, were hand-packaged by Red Octane themselves. And the game does finally release, and it is quickly evident that it is a smash hit, with the sales numbers doubling every month. And leading up to, oh, again, with GameStop, they had to they had to do a workaround. GameStop was like, we're not putting demos in our store. And so they literally had to call up individual managers of like every GameStop and get demos into every individual store that they possibly could until GameStop finally said, hey, our numbers are way better for your game when we have demos in the store. Can you actually put demos in all of our stores? But still, the thing catches fire, catches hot, hot fire. Uh, Eric Malafieu, uh, who was the systems lead at Harmonix, said, 
The other thing I remember now is bringing it home at Thanksgiving. We were on the schedule. We put out a game every year so it would be ready to sell for Thanksgiving. When I brought that home, everybody, everybody, parents, young kids were all transfixed by watching people play it and wanted to get in on it. That's when I knew it was going to be big. Games do not cross generations like that very often. And I know we mentioned it earlier. We talked about this phenomenon with the Wii. And again, how massively successful it became because it could cross those barriers and uh, get the olds involved. (laughs) Uh, And another employee spoke of uh, not too long after the game coming out, entering Guitar Hero in the YouTube search and just getting goosebumps when hundreds of videos popped up of people who uploaded them playing the game. So it just absolutely is this massive, massive success. Did you get in on Guitar Hero 1 or were you like me? You kind of slept on it for a bit. Uh, I played it at the conventions and was like, oh, wow, this will be interesting. But uh, I didn't have a PlayStation and this was a PlayStation 2 exclusive. And um, weirdly enough, uh, the fa- even though they had s- like the game was nearly impossible to find for a really long time because of these uh, production line distribution uh, bottlenecks for this small company. Mm-hmm. So the illusion was that this was the hottest game ever because it was sold out everywhere when really... Like, just in terms of raw units, they just ran out. They just didn't have enough to have even, like, a normal amount of sales. They talk about this terrifying situation. I actually read about this recently when I read the guy, the Nike guy's book, the CEO mm-hmm. of Nike. He was kind of talked about a similar situation. You, you're at, When you're early on, you're literally like, okay, I have to pay the warehouse by this date, but I won't have that money until, like, hopefully, like, two days before. I mean... We're talking about timing windows of paying people off and then getting profit uh, that that if anything went wrong, they would be fucked. Like Mm -hmm. it is terrifying, actually, in a way to be that level company and then also be that successful. There's like a window of time where it is incredibly stressful dealing with each end of the buy sell of all of it to get the product out. And so, yeah, but still hugely successful. And there was a contract between the two groups, uh, uh, Harmonix and Red Octane, to uh, do a sequel and one more game after that. So Guitar Hero 2 comes out in 2006. Guitar Hero Encore, Rock the 80s, came out in 07. And it's in the summer of 2006 that essentially marks the beginning of the end for this story. Red Octane is bought by Activision. Just to acknowledge how much of an insane step up Guitar Hero 2 was... This time around, yeah. uh, the three it had a release for the 360. They had a Gibson Explorer, which is uh, like a more it's I, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's more triangly. It's a more triangly guitar. It's more angly. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like the one that looks like a. Uh, it's like a, one of those uh, guitars that are like double guitars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a. It's like a. It looks like the shoe of Hermes. It looks like a winged shoe. Anyway. Um, they added co-op, which uh, not just competitive multiplayer. And uh, the problem with co-op is, of course, if you were stuck playing rhythm guitar, it was way shittier and more boring. They got DLC packs through uh, 360 Xbox Live Arcade and uh, just, you know, tons of great tracks. Uh, you get, finally got Free Bird by Leonard Skinner, Sweet Child of Mine. Uh, you got Rush in there. Uh, it, it's many people's favorite entry in the series. Uh, specifically because it's still a union of harmonics and red octane and they have a little bit more budget and a little bit more refinement. So like this might be the most pure guitar hero experience at this time. Absolutely. And rock the eighties has been widely acknowledged as just a cheap uh, attempt to just cash out of their contract 
after the um, ickiness that we're about to describe. Yeah, I feel like Guitar Hero 2 is probably the purest distillation of what the two groups were trying to do. And then Guitar Hero 3 is just the biggest seller. But that's also because they have the Activision machine behind the whole thing. So and that ends up being um, an issue for a lot of people. So let's talk about it. In the fall of 2006, Viacom bought Harmonix. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, before that. In the summer of 06, Red Octane was bought by Activision. This threw Harmonix totally off. They were like, we were working with this awesome small company. Now we're dealing with this massive publisher that we cannot even contend with on any level. So in the fall of 06, Viacom buys Harmonix, and, uh, that's, uh, and is, which is essentially MTV. Mm-hmm. And the team is very interested at this point in recreating the full band experience, the precursor to rock band. According to Alex Rigopoulos, it seemed that the publishing execs at Activision just weren't that interested in going to the full band experience, which is hilarious because I believe they do, right? Do they, don't they at one point attempt a full rock band, band ex- world tour, right? world tour adds, right? adds the uh, full band experience, including what many people consider the superior drum experience with the uh, raised cymbal pads, uh. as opposed to the four flat pads. But I, this is, we're in the woods. We're in the woods now. Uh, another thing to get into the woods about is apparently this whole thing, this whole split between Harmonix and Rigopolis, spoiler alert, that's about to happen, is because actually Viacom and Activision had hated each other for a long time. Apparently there was some lawsuit, uh, apparently it had something to do with Star Trek, uh, and and they've been at odds forever. So immediately when these two companies buy up these two other companies, that just there's a split is inevitable, uh, essentially. Charles Wang, VP at Red Octane, said, Honestly, we liked Harmonix. We probably would have continued working with them. I would like to say they would have uh, they would have done the same. But, you know, we were owned by large corporations. I think Viacom wanted to take them. And instead of them publishing with us, they self-published through MTV. So I'm sure there was some financial, there was some corporate bad blood. So Red Octane uh, ends up bringing in Neversoft at Activision, as you mentioned before, to head development, which is actually a very smart move, to head development on Guitar Hero 3 Legends of Rock. I mean, at a, when you think about it, when you think about it, Tony Hawk was the first rhythm game. <laughs> when I, you really think about well, it. Well, it was definitely the first game to have like a notably great soundtrack that was largely rock and roll influenced uh as well as hip-hop and like was actually and also it just had everything that 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 worked out i think perfectly for them to make a rock band game like they were also tastemakers they understand coolness factor like they got all that stuff for sure uh it's super yeah it's just such a funny thing that like activision sees guitar hero and is like who owns Guitar Hero? And they're like, Red Octane. They're like, we're going to buy Red Octane. We now own Guitar Hero. And then MTV Viacom was like, wait, who? but who actually made Guitar Hero? Be like, oh, this group of nerds in Boston. Like, <laughs> we'll just take the people who actually made the thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then the guy, the makers of the peripheral. Yeah. Uh, legally, do video game, are video game mechanics unpatentable? Like, can anybody make any game with, and there's no legal ramifications for just stealing a gameplay system? Oh, there isn't? They're real. you can literally just make a, a game with the exact same mechanics and it's not, you're not legally liable? Cool. So yeah, yeah, um, uh, they they end up going off to to make Rock Band. I will say a little bit about NeverSoft and Activision. Um, Lennon has Lennon Lang has some very choice words. Apparently, NeverSoft did eventually become grading to the Red Octane team. Uh, Lennon Lang referred to them as quote one of the shittiest designers I've ever worked with. Just cocky fucks. <laughs> Sorry. Lennon Lang also said about Activision fucking Bobby Kotick. 
I actually went into that guy's office, asked him to not kill this game. I came in and said, hey, you're killing my baby. And he was just like, this is the business. And sit me out of his office. Well, it came with just getting rid of, it became an IP, not a real what it was like it lost all of its soul it didn't matter what the songs were it was just whatever it is uh, whatever is going to look good on the back of the box the li- they literally said that so it didn't matter i fought so hard on music selection and they just wouldn't listen the uh i believe the key conflict that you have to understand between neversoft and harmonics is that both groups are just uh horrible nerds but the difference between east coast mit nerds and California gamer nerds are two very specific, different yes. kind of nerds who can never get along yes. with each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oil and water for sure. Uh, so over on the rock band side, Alec Rigopoulos said, we were taking what felt to us like an incredibly risky project to market. I mean, when we launched Rock Band 1 in fall of 2007, it was the most expensive video game in the industry. It was like a $200 bundle. Honestly, again, we loved the game. We were very excited to release it. But I remember in November 2007, when we were nearing releasing, we just didn't know if anyone was going to show up to buy it. And they had concerns also about MTV, who didn't have the experience in the games market. However, MTV was able to secure them music licenses, son. So it was a huge, great soundtrack on Rock Band and tons of downloadable content later. Um, the, the, for rock band, the guitar is a little different. It had five extra fret buttons closer to the body of the guitar. So you could use those for solos. So you could really go pew, 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 like more so than before. The drum controller had four drum pads and a kick pedal, which took them a while to figure out how to visualize on the screen. Of course, it is the bar that exists Mm -hmm. under the gyms, which is very, very brilliant. And I think just absolutely works for you to immediately be able to feel great playing the drums. Then there's the USB microphone, and that, of course, incorporates all that tech from Karaoke Revolution. And so the one big issue they had was making the band feel like a shared band experience. Like, they were all reliant on each other to make these songs. Originally, they were all just separately playing instruments, and it didn't really matter. So they built in things like the saving failing teammates uh, thing mechanic the unison bonuses solos for guitar and drums bass grooves and those big rock endings they added all that stuff to make us feel like hey we're playing this song together and we can like help each other get through the song which i do think helped a lot i mean i I already gushed so much about it but i just i just love 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 rock band i think that's for me my favorite of all the experiences i mean they did also have the uh shared star power thing which is uh horrible because there was always the one newbie in the game who would just waste all the star power not realizing that this was the worst possible moment in the song to (laughs) to hit it so just to give you an idea between 2007 and uh, 2010 guitar hero puts out 24 games which included spinoffs and mobile games overall, and put out seven of of those put out seventeen mainline games in five fucking years. And that is if you got count- to agree, the iOS version, best version, <laughs> second only to the arcade version that you'd play at Dave and Buster's, the two <laughs> titans of the Guitar Hero Empire. Uh, I will say they also put out DJ Hero, which I fucking love, which is the t- turntable peripheral. I remember, though, knowing deep in my heart when my buddies got, like, I had two different friends who got DJ Hero, and I would go to their place and play it, and I considered getting it myself, and I loved it. I wish they would make a new one, too, honestly, with you. I I think the turntable peripheral is so fun, but I could feel it in the air, man. I could feel this was a dying thing. 
You could just sense it because a, a it was only a couple friends who got it, as opposed to it just being you seeing a plastic guitar at like every friend's place that you went mm-hmm. to a, after a while. But also, like God, you could just tell they were really swinging for the fences by that point. But also, Activision it's like even worse than like a Call of Duty or whatever, where they try to put one game out a year. I get that to a certain degree, but like, dude, seventeen games. Are you out of your fucking mind? Like, and of course they were like the Aerosmith. They were essentially just song packs, but that sucks. That should have been like DLC for a, a, any one game. But instead, it was just like it was so overwhelming to me as well. Uh, of uh, even you know, as I actually I I never had Guitar Hero. I only had Rock Band. But it was just like and Rock Band too. They were trying to keep up at that point. Apparently, Guitar Hero Metallica ruled because you can add a second bass pedal for that double bass metal kind of sound. Nice. So that seemed pretty cool. And they did a Guitar Hero Smash Hits, uh-huh. which was actually developed by Beanox, which is like the fucking whipping boy for just shovelware. Mediocre Spider-Man games aside. <laughs> uh, and that had like all the hits from the earlier games in the actual versions, not just the cover. So nice. that was pretty neat. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and Rock Band, of course, again, like, I will say, with Beatles Rock Band, that did feel like a singular experience, and it, that you could feel the love for the band in that game, and the art was beautiful, all of the different, all of the different, like, stage show sets and everything were, like, really, really well done, I thought that was just what, such a standout to me, uh, as well as DJ Hero, but, um, yeah, and then most recently, and I played it, actually, uh, Guitar Hero Live came out. I actually had it. I actually, during the move, I definitely took my plastic guitars down to the basement on the, and put them on the giveaway table, uh, which mm. felt very symbolic for coming into this episode But um, uh, before I left New York. But, uh, yes, I did have Guitar Hero Live. Uh, Shout-outs to Andrew Parker, by the way, for, uh, I believe he sent me a, a guitar for that, and... Uh, or even send me the whole thing. Either way, thank you, man. And uh, I really did have fun with it. It came out in 2015. It had a really cool FMV element. So you really felt like you were on stage playing in front of a bunch of people. And like, what? I, that felt so weird to me that like, uh, like weird algorithmically generated yes. crowd of people that like well, well, were kind no, no, no. of they, bobbing along. They essentially shot them enjoying the concert and then also shot them hating the concert. So if you started fucking up, it would just do this weird transition into them hating it. It would just sort of fade into them hating it. <laughs> and it was very funny. Yeah. Um, and they also tried this thing called GHTV, which was like you had different radio stations that would switch out the songs you could play. So it kind of was trying to do that like almost live streaming experience Sort of a game I mean, they, to Netflix. Activision desperately wanted everything to be a games as service. Yeah. And they just serviceified. It just wasn't Guitar Hero. even myself, I enjoyed it for a little bit, but I was just like, maybe it's like I was too used to having the full rock band experience with like I love being band. able to play uh, drums. Like drums is probably my favorite too. Uh but but uh and I didn't pick that up because it was just too expensive and, and whatnot. I was like, and I just couldn't I lived I lived in a small one bedroom in Astoria. I couldn't fill that apartment with any more peripherals at that point but um uh, yeah i could even i felt my own interest waning i mean i think the only person i knew that still regularly played like rock band drums personally is marcus really everybody else like fully walked away from it who were really enthusiastic about it for a while rock band had rock band 4 in 2015 and this had backward compatibility i think it was one of the coolest things about this so you had your choice of more than 4000 available songs from over 1,200 artists, like just absolute critical mass when it comes to song selection, which is cool. But again, 
just did not sell. It just, for you know, I mean, I would say for whatever reason, but we, I think we can definitely point to oversaturation, which was Activision just milking that fucking money tree, squeezing that money lemon, and uh, Harmonix being like, we got to keep up, which I don't think they should have done. I think they should have not tried to keep up, but either way. So the weird thing is, is for the true diehard, for people that like, honest to God, care about these games, care about the artistry and the technical mastery of these games, tons of different, like, kind of software solutions came out for PC. There's, you know, Guitar Smith, Clone Hero, Uh countless others that I'm just really not, like, doing justice. And they could work with all sorts of different peripherals, uh, various complications. Um, The There's an entire community of creators uh, from, like, people like GH Addict, Asai... Randy Ladyman, who all like keep posting world records. There's the guy who played through Dark Souls yep. on a Guitar Hero controller. Like the legacy is still around and people can still recognize like it's still a touchstone for an entire generation. And like it never truly went away. These games still matter in people's lives, even if they aren't the like, you know, Black Friday stab someone in the neck for the latest uh, sequel to the series. Totally, like, totally. And, uh, you know, the uh, games like uh, Osu and all the, you know, rhythm games are alive and well in the world. It's just that community has almost like outgrown Activision and Viacom in a way. I think there was also a time when people thought it was going to be like a big esport. And actually, Alex Rigopoulos spoke about how watching people incredibly skilled at the game, it does look the same every time. You know what I mean? It is. It's very. It's very compelling. But it's it, it's it's interesting. They're We're just like, running if through you, the sequence. You know what I mean? But if you know, if you are in on it, I uh, there's a great. Hold on, let me find this. Uh, there's a great YouTuber called I believe Etienne uh, who did a video on like through the fire and the flames and its history of the score progression and like the different runs, the different like way tech like literally developing new techniques to how to get your hands from the strum bar to the buttons like it's a evolving like it it is a sport in a lot of ways it's a very solitary sport it's a very abstract sport but there is there is a depth there that you could lose your life to if Uh you really wanted it uh absolutely and i think i think also its legacy lives on in the people that the game inspired the bands, including those bands that got songs on via just being staff at harmonics, saw massive growth in their popularity, with folks even showing up to their gigs with copies of the game to sign. Alex Rigopoulos told of a group of girls in Mexico who became a successful band called The Warning. And that started out as kids just playing rock band first, and then they decided from that to form a band and became very successful. I mean, if you if you bought the pro controller for rock that came out for rock band, which itself is like this incredible achievement in music education and uh, visual translation of uh, musical concepts, because it's this, you know, massive extra peripheral that came out with like the fret buttons all the way down the neck. It's with like the official Gibson licensing. I considered like, getting if you it. learn to play that game, I think you, I think Mark has got it. I, I considered getting it. Like you'll be able to play guitar if you learn playing that game mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. that controller. And a like, lot of the drums parts on Expert is just the actual drum part. <laughs> like in, in rock band. Like honestly. Uh Aaron Egozi, of course, co-founded Harmonics. 
He ends up going on to uh, teach a class at MIT and said, I remember I had a student who took the class and she said to me, I don't know if you realize this, but playing your game gave me a different perception of who I was as a person because it made me realize that I could play music and I could perform music. And that is such an incredible task to achieve because so many people, I think there's such a barrier to entry of like, we could actually start a band. And then you get together and you start playing shitty music together. You're like, we're in a band. This is amazing. But but it's such a funny barrier to get there. It's like anybody can do it. Just pretend you're a, <laughs> pretend you're a famous rock singer uh, until you just are on stage doing it. Uh, I mean, if you own the DS version, Guitar Hero on Tour, you'll experience the real arthritis and debilitating joint pain that a true rock musician has to muscle through as a professional. It was a very cramped thing. The 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 buttons fit through the GBA slot. It was a terrible design. Nobody liked it. I've got one more final quote from that awesome Vice article. Do you have any more things you want to say about this franchise before we wrap this whole thing up, Jake? Um, I just want to say thank you to Man of Leaves on the Wizard and the Bruiser Discord. Go to patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Find out how you can join and take part in our weekly study sessions. Um, who really gave like a true lifelong fans perspective how these games kind of uh, brought solace through various uh, stages of life. And how if you care about rock music, this game, the series are an extremely just fulfilling way to experience and kind of just uh, consume these songs and these artists. Hell yeah. All right, here's my quote from Daniel Sussman, producer at Harmonix. Here's the resonant story that I take away from Guitar Hero 1. I was talking to someone about the soundtrack, and they were telling me a story of their, like, eight-year-old daughter coming down to the breakfast table singing Blitzkrieg Bop. Uh, The Ramones pump song from the fucking, what, 70s? Mom's like, honey, how do you know that song? And this little girl was like, it's one of my favorite songs on the guitar on, uh, from Guitar Hero. And like, I basically just started crying, right? <laughs> it was this moment where I'm like, okay, wait a minute. We are sort of relighting this legacy of amazing content that certainly didn't go anywhere, but we're creating relationships between people and songs. And I think Harmonix did exactly what they set out to do, which is bring people that felt they weren't actual musicians to feeling like, kind of they were musicians or giving them the the fantasy of that. And what's amazing is I feel like they took so much from rock culture to make Guitar Hero. So many, obviously, songs, so much of just the, the venues and the touring, and there's so many inside jokes about the touring uh, issues the bands have and stuff like that. And they ended up giving back in such a profound way with, with uh, these games as well to, to the whole culture of rock and roll. And Red Octane fulfilled their dream, which was to not immediately go out of business until 2010 when Activision closed the entire division. Yes, absolutely. But at least they became millionaires in the process. So good for them. All right. That's it. That's our episode. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. If you want to catch us more, Jake just mentioned our Sunday study sessions on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew on the $5 tier. You can do uh, you get a bonus episode every single week. Uh, We're doing a deep dive through the 90s right now. It's been a lot of fun. And um, you can also check out that $15 tier for the Sunday study sessions. We love this group. It's so much fun to hang out every week. And uh, also check me out, twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. I'm I'm over the hump of moving to L.A. By the way, apologies if it's a a bit of an uh, echoey sound on my end. This hopefully will be the last time I... I don't have a bit of a more profeshy setup, but either way, I'm out here and I'm feeling great and I'm getting back to streaming. 
And my PC didn't get destroyed in the move, which was surprising to me. So check me out, twitch.tv forward slash Holdenator. So, Jake... You'll enjoy the same audio quality you've always experienced. Uh, me and my aging laptop and a USB microphone. You love it. You need it. Crystal clear-ish. Uh, follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung for all my thoughts, plops, and breathtaking photos of Brooklyn bird life. Love those plops. Also, uh, hey, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.